what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That, to me, was rather absurd. You know, that's just not believable at all. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. We recently wrapped up the story of Karen Newell, the lady currently incarcerated for the 1994 murder of her husband at the time, John Newell. A crime she says she had nothing to do with. Today, it's time to sit down with the man they call OMR's voice of reason, our resident attorney, Michael Leonard. He's a man with decades of trial experience as a defence attorney in Chicago, Illinois. I get his opinion on, of course, Karen's case, as well as discussing the recent decision made by the parole board in the Jason Vukovic story. We'll start as we always do with your thoughts on on the latest case, Mr. Leonard. Yeah, it's reminiscent to me a little bit of a tall tale, I guess I would say. Um, but but it brings up you know a lot of issues that arise in criminal defense cases and and any kind of litigation where, you know, the narrative from the party or parties, you know, has to pass what we call the smell test. Does it seem legitimate? You know, does it make sense to a jury? Uh, Can they believe in what you're saying? And I just think that her story from my perspective just fails that in, in several critical ways. Yeah, look, it is a tricky one, and as you know, I, I remain on the fence with these uh, stories. I, uh, you know, I got splinters in my bum, as they would say here in Australia, because I'm sitting on the fence. But it is, look, it's it's a tricky one because you know there's a few questions that I had of uh, Karen in regards to this this PJ character. For me, the biggest one is obviously lying to the detectives um, and telling them a false story. Um, and I mean, she says that she was afraid of this guy uh, and didn't know, didn't want him to, you know, do anything to her or her children. But I mean, for me, it's when this guy is in the house, the detectives are in the house, you've got the law, they're there. You know, for me, it would be a case of you, you're never going to be more protected than that moment right there. And you could say, look, 
I, I lied to you initially, even on the quiet, because she said that he went into his room. Even on the quiet, he said, look, I lied to you initially because he did it and I'm terrified that something's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they arrest him and then it all works its, its way out. So it is a tricky one. When you start lying to the police straight away and, and then say you're innocent, it, it's a tricky one. Could we table that issue for a minute? Mm. So I'd like to, I'd like to come back to because I think it's a great point you just made. Uh, what troubled me was something a little bit earlier even in the narrative where – you know, so she acknowledges that she met she met this guy, you know, when they were driving or whatever in this other city. Um, the the weird thing to me was a couple of things. Uh, the weirdest thing was the notion that you know she puts an ad for a for a tenant or a room, and you know, okay, even even if you believe that that's true, and and this guy just happens to show up. What I found very strange and and not believable was her statement to you that she that didn't know who came, it was when she came, when he came to the door, she, I think she said to you, she, she didn't put two and two together and didn't realize it was him. That to me was rather absurd. You know, that's just not believable at all. I had actually had put an ad in the paper for somebody to rent out one of the rooms in our house to help with the, with the mortgage payments. And so he came and he answered that ad. When he came, I didn't even, it didn't even click to me that this is the same guy I just met on the highway because, I mean, he didn't make that great of an impression on me that day. And then, you know, once once you do realize it's him, uh, then you're going to go ahead and let him be a border and not disclose anything to your, um, was that considered her husband at the well, time? Well, yeah, husband, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. married, yeah. You're, you're not going to, if you had any concerns whatsoever, you're not going to disclose to him and you're going to let him move into your house. So. That, that, you know, again, fails to pass the smell test from the get-go. But you you make a tremendous point. And I guess before we get to it, there's one more point I'd like to make. <laughs> uh, sorry, I know it's your show. No, no, um, please, go, go, please. You, you know, but, you're the voice of reason. So. Interestingly enough, when, when you started out talking about, you know, how this went down, you know, that it was a, a, a highway side, roadside murder where one car stops, you know, allegedly has trouble and then you know robbers or whoever come in and kill the person it, it, it smacked me as oh oh no because you know there, there's been so many incidents in american true crime real crime real life crime where that's been the scenario we had a really famous case in illinois where that's exactly what happened in fact uh the reason why i'm a little bit more familiar with it is it was it was in a podcast like last year or the year before uh they covered they covered it in detail and the same type of scenario where, you know, where one, where the people are driving and one person gets out and the other person stays in the car and lo and behold, someone randomly comes along and kills them. It never really adds up when you're out on the highway that that's really a scenario that's ever going to happen. And as we know, that's not the true scenario because obviously it's, it's, it was someone that she knew. Um, but as soon as you said that in your opening, I'm like, oh no, one of these, because it seems like it's a, it's been a, I don't know why, but but criminals have gone back to the well on that one many times where they set up, you know, the other person, you know, the person gets out. Sometimes the scenario is they're, they're fixing a flat tire or something like that. But to me, this, this it, it all of a sudden reminded me of so many other cases where this was the M.O. Yeah, uh, this was sort of the plot. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So it's not an original tale. Yeah, but but I think you make one of the strongest points. I mean, uh it seems incredibly odd 
in light of the fact that, um, you know, prior to the murder, according to her version of the story, prior to the murder, she didn't have any real concerns for safety of herself. Um, we'll, we'll get back to the concerns for safety about her husband and certainly no, no concerns for the safety of her family. So to witness a brutal murder like that, and then when they come to the scene, law enforcement not mentioned it, gee, by the way, that's our roommate, um, out of the, the notion that it was fear-based, there just didn't seem to be a well-founded fear of him other than, you know, he, had, he did carry out a murder. But in terms of there were no prior threats, nothing like that, it would have been a perfect opportunity, you know, when they're at the scene, obviously, to tell law enforcement what had happened. And then you compound it with your point is here, here are the cops in your home and the guy walks in, right? <laughs> and you're you're fully protected and he just goes to his room, right? Um, and you're not going to say anything about it. Again, on this theory that you have this, this huge fear that he's going to come after your family when there doesn't seem to be any basis in their in their prior dealings that would give her, you know, that that feeling. So it just it smacks me as as a little bit uh, incredible. People listening to this would probably think because obviously you said you know you you were worried that what he would do to your kids, etc. But obviously, I think people listening to this might think that if he was there and the detectives were there, you could have just told the detectives it was him and they would have taken him into custody custody immediately. And then you're, you would have been safe, essentially. Yes, I would have been had I been thinking in the right frame of mind. But obviously, I was traumatized by the whole event. And I'm listening to my sister and my and my youngest brother telling me, Karen, just be cool. Just let, let's talk to the attorney. Don't say nothing else. I mean, what what happens? Because obviously you're, you're a man who defends people, you know. Um, what, what what would happen in your case if someone, you got a phone call and you went down to the police station, wherever, and you hear this story from a defendant? What what do you do in that case? If, if you're in your head going, well, this just doesn't add up, do you say that to them? Do you say, well, come on, this is not adding up. I need to know the truth here. Well, Jack, the scenario, if, if you take the same set of facts and, and I'm representing him, then it's completely different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then they're absolutely, absolutely not guilty. So that, that just changes the right there. Uh, well, no, you, I mean, you, you would certainly obviously want to get all the facts you can from your client. And of course, you know, in your attorney-client communications, you're going to probe them uh, and come at them hard about, you know, maybe not in your first visit. Uh, but, you know, the the strength of the government's case, what are going to be the Achilles heels in your own defense? You know, what smacks is is not credible? You know, how do you explain this? How do you explain that? You're, you're going to probe all that stuff deeply, right? Um, but, of course, if that's your clients telling, telling you that that's their truth and that's what happened, obviously you're going to do everything you can to corroborate that defense and support that defense. You know, it's not your job to decide um, whether it's true or false, you, you're going to have to put on your best case. The, the interesting thing in our system, and I don't know how it works in Australia, but the only real limitation on a lawyer, theoretically, is that if your client does tell you, hey, I did it and here's how I did it, or here's how it really happened, the rules require you not to be able to put that person on a stand and you knowingly allow them to perjure themselves, okay? Yeah. Um, does that still happen? I'm sure that it does. Okay. But at least theoretically in our system, as a lawyer, you can't put your client on to tell a tale that you know to be false because you're then suborning perjury. That's why you often hear people say, Hey, 
you know, the lawyer doesn't want to know what really happened. He he wants you to tell him what you claim are the facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's a little overplayed. You know, I certainly I want to figure out the story the best I can so I can defend the case as best as I can. And, and oftentimes your client's not going to testify trial anyways, you know. I suppose you're never going to turn a client down, but do you ever, would you look at this case and go, I just, there's no way we're going to win this. I mean, I just don't know how we're going to win this. Well, you know, the, despite the criticisms or, or uh, disbelief that I have about some of the credibility issues, at the same time, if that's your case and that's your client, you you make the best out of that. Clearly, yeah. you would argue. Um, I, I don't I don't find the part credible. Like, hey, I didn't recognize him. Um, clearly, you did, and you let him move in. But you know, it, it has there. There's more to that, and and it sounds like from what you developed during your story, there was a interesting amicable to to a great extent friendship between the three of them right yeah 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 um, which could very much play into the defense of you know this is a jealousy triangle yeah and and that's what she's essentially telling you so there's certainly enough to work with here she could have a well-founded fear of him uh, if, if he's capable of doing these things uh and you could play that up and develop that as much as you can and develop her maybe naivety uh, maybe, you know, lack of street smarts, maybe lack of smarts uh, and say, you know, you, you might not have reacted the same way. And it's clearly unusual that she reacted the way she did. But, you know, people react different ways to uh, witnessing a murder. And, you know, for, for us to later say that her fear, if it was really true, is not well founded. You know, that's that's a question for the jury. But you you do as much as you can to develop the narrative that this was a three party relationship, that they all got very close but this PJ that he harbored this, you know, love for her. And, um, you know, it was, it was not returned. And obviously he took, he took steps, you know, took things into his own hand to try to get rid of her husband. So there's certainly enough to make a great case for that. I mean, you have to deal with the problems that every case has. I mean, you know, you brought up from your investigation and from talking to her, this notion that, Hey, uh, what about this gun? And and that was a troublesome fact too, right? Yeah, yeah. As you as you got her to, to explain, or you had pointed out to her, I guess you kind of confronted her with the fact that, look, the gun that was used was the same caliber as the gun that you admittedly you or your husband borrowed. That's a problematic fact. <laughs> um, again, uh, part of the overall narrative would be yes, that's true. We did borrow that gun, but we only borrowed it because of the attack on my husband, which I had no knowledge or anything to do with. Yeah. But as you know, that leads to another bit of trouble in the case because you got her to talk about how, and I think you must have discovered from your own investigation that there was this attack upon him yep. that preceded the murder by a couple of months, which again, you know, from Doesn't the government, good. from the prosecutor standpoint, uh, it's like it's like your case. What, what's the name of your case? Where, oh, um, yeah, Kimberly Boone with the fire and the shooting. Exactly, reminiscent of that a little bit, right? Um, and then, so when you confronted her with that, you, you had learned that from. Was that just publicly reported the issue with the with no, the gun? No, she. Uh, there was a document documentary made about her story, and the police did a bit of digging and found this this attack on the husband uh, at the house, which was supposedly a sort of a break. It was supposed to be a break in or something, and. He got bashed and all the rest of it. She was in the house when it happened. And An- another bad fact. Yeah. Uh, uh, although, although, again, every bad fact 
can be turned the other way in terms of your defense in the case. So yeah, of course. Clearly, in that case, they would argue that look, um, maybe maybe it was uh, um, the roommate who was involved in that. She didn't know about it, uh, but clearly he had, you know, his eyes on doing something to him for a long period of time. Was not letting her in on his his scenario, and you know she was she had nothing to do with that. Um, so again, you got you got to make the best of those facts to try to turn it to support your defense theory. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What I find interesting is the fact they both ended up taking plea deals, um, but the guy who actually physically shot uh, her husband and killed the guy, he's the one that committed the murder, he, he got out years ago. Yeah, to me that made no sense. I it's think so that was weird. a great point you, you brought out. Um, it was amazing because, you know, he gets to cooperate against her, although, in my view, he's the more culpable party. Well, he's the one that pulled and the trigger. He, I mean, you know, yeah, he's the even, let's say that she did organize and yeah. she said, I want you to kill him. She's not got him under mind control. Like, I mean, he's still a human being with his own thoughts and his own processes. And and he's gone out and shot this guy, yet he gets out years before she's even eligible for parole. Yeah, I thought that was pretty startling. Um, it, it also points out something that happens in our system, happens in a lot of system, kind of the way the law and the prosecution views females versus males in a particular case, right? Yeah. And I think that the narrative in the American justice system often is if if the wife's involved, if the wife or girlfriend is involved, it always gets a ton of press. And it's always this sort of black spider, black All widow. All the women I've spoken to in these stories have generally had documentaries made about them. Yeah. They love it's it. This, it's this fascination that, wow, it's it's amazing that a woman would do that, right? I think it's because, you know, more, of course, statistically, more murders are committed by males. It's just, just sort of fascination. 
when it is a female and when it is a spouse, it always gets an incredibly overblown amount of attention. And then, of course, that plays into the prosecutor's minds. They're, they're humans, too. And they have this mind that, oh, she's the evil one. She must be the mastermind. You know, yeah, yeah. she's pulling the strings on this guy. So I think sometimes, especially in this case, she was uh, the victim of that sort of bias, this anti-woman bias. So sometimes that bias, Jack, plays into your hands. You know, we have a lot of cases where it might be a drug conspiracy or some other crime. And oftentimes the court looks upon a woman who's involved as, you know, it's kind of an archaic view. Like she can't really, you know, she can't really make her own decisions. She, you know, the, the boyfriend or the husband, he's really telling her what to do. She's less culpable. So sometimes it works to your advantage. In this case, it clearly went the other way to her disadvantage. Well, look, I mean, it's a fascinating one. There's not a hell of a lot of us to dive into this one, I think. But while I've got you, I would love to talk to you about just quickly Jason Vukovic, as we know, the Alaskan Avenger uh, case we covered a little while ago. I caught up with him uh, just the other day. He went up in front of the parole board. And, and what I find uh, amazing and what we're, none of us can seem to fathom is the fact that they've granted him parole. They, they said, yes, we're going to give you parole, but they've that parole is not going to happen until 2028. So they, they said, you can have parole. Yep. No problem. Sign that. But in five years' time, I don't understand that. What what what, the, what do they think they're going to get in the next five years that is going to make any difference whatsoever? Yeah. First of all, you know, I, I did listen to that one, and so um, I know it just came out, but I did listen to it, oh, and man. I wanted to say you fooled you fooled me. You know, What's you did that? such a dramatic job. You know, first I... <laughs> of all, the caption the caption on the one minute made it seem like he got parole. And then you lured us in with your little fishing line. We all believed he was getting out. And then, bam, Jackie hit us. I well, I needed to take my- you through what I went through because we all thought he was getting out. There was this big whole thing of his parole, parole. Unfortunately, the attorney uh, in his case jumped the gun a bit and read the paperwork and saw parole granted. So he's called Jason's sister and gone, parole granted. And she's like, oh, my God. And then finally we read the paperwork and it said 2028. Yeah, you almost caused me to crash my car. I was driving along and I was like, oh boy. Yeah, that that's funny because, you know, as attorneys, that's what you often do. You you get an opinion or a ruling or an order. And the first thing you do is just go to the end and read that last sentence, you know, affirmed or granted or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I, I could see, I could see making that mistake. In this case, though, wow, what a mistake to make emotionally for everybody involved. Oh, crazy. But, um, I, I thought it was, I, I liked how you covered it. Um, but yeah, it's pretty bizarre. I, I think, re, honestly, I think just like he said to you, um, I think your show uh, and the attention you brought got him the parole, but clearly, you know, they weren't, they didn't want to give it to him, but they felt like they should or had to. There'd be a backlash. And so they they kind of uh, gave each side half of the cake, you know, so to speak. Yeah, cut, yeah. You know, cut, we, we call it cutting the baby. But I think you did get his his time in, in prison, hopefully cut down. But at the same time, it was kind of a, a gutless um, performance by that parole board and saying, gee, OK, we'll give it to you, but you got to do five more years. That's that's absolutely unheard of. He said, I've done all the classes that I can do. There's not like this because he said sometimes they'll say, well, look, we'll revisit your parole in 12 months. Do this course, do this or do that. Uh, and let's revisit it. But there is literally nothing left he can do. He's done everything that he can do. Um, you know, he's got the most exemplary record and all the rest of it. And as he said, now he's got to he's got to survive in prison for five years 
watching his back to make sure nothing happens so he gets an infraction and then that's gone completely. And they had a guy bash him the other day, you know, and he's just like. Yeah, it's it's ludicrous. I mean, clearly they they felt the public pressure and knew that this was the right thing to do and that they should do it, but didn't have the guts to go all the way and said, okay, we'll give it to you, but, you know, we'll, we'll attach these strings. Five years makes absolutely no sense. I mean, you know, there, there are recognized legitimate aims of sentencing, you know, in the state and federal level in our, in the States. Uh, and, you know, one of them clearly is rehabilitation, although it's kind of a joke because in most places there's no rehabilitation really provided that's, that's legitimate. However, in his case for years, and he's been there a long time already, he's shown that he's done things to attempt to rehabilitate himself. So, there is no legitimate justification now because, like you said, there is nothing more that he can do, theoretically, even to get rehabilitated more in quotation marks. Because yeah. I think the first of all, that's a joke at this stage, but there's nothing else that he can do that would lead to greater rehabilitation. And and I don't think that after this amount of time has passed, that there's a legitimate concern that he's a danger to the community. He was a danger when he was doing his crime spree, so to speak, to a limited subset of the population. Um, it seems clear that he's learned his lesson. There's so many ways too, Jack, that a that a judge, and in this case, a parole board, can monitor the activities, even though they let somebody out on the street. So yeah, well, he said he could, he, they could put an ankle monitor on him. He said they can they could send yeah. me out, put an ankle monitor on me, and I can live in society, but they won't even do that. Yeah, it's no different, Jack, that if, if he would have been, if he would have been coming after serving just a normal sentence of any amount of time, and then there might have been a period of supervised release in our federal system or probation in the state system. And they do those things. You know, they have persons assigned that you have to check in. You're held to certain standards about either getting a job, doing community service, maybe reporting to the court or special court. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. And then again, your your example is a great one that he gave too, was the electronic monitoring. You can do home confinement home incarceration. And then over time, you can start lessen the, lessening those restrictions. So if they if they had done the right thing here, they still could have said, okay, well, we have these concerns that you're a danger to the community because that's what they seem to be suggesting to him. So we'll, we'll let you out. We'll give you the parole and then we'll give you electronic monitoring. And of course, what happens in, in any system that makes sense is that over time, you start to lessen those restrictions as they show that they can handle it. And they could have easily done that here. He's resided to the fact it's five years now and his focus is trying to get himself into a lesser, you know, security prison, a more sort of downgraded facility where it's not as violent so that he can just sort of, you know, focus on just getting out in five years and, and not having to worry about watch his back all the time. So Yeah, if he can get that, what he was talking to you about getting the- getting Work camp or something. The, the one point credit yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be perfect because then if, he, if he's at one of those facilities where- there's essentially no level of security and everyone's kind of working in the same way. They're all people who have proven themselves. Then he'd, he'd have a good shot. But the other thing I wanted to bring up is those ridiculous questions that they pose to him. It's, it's, it's like a horribly bad Hallmark movie. Like he comes in and they're saying, what's justice? These, these esoteric questions and they're going to sit there and, and judge him on his answers that He'd have no way to prepare, and and who who, who can really answer those questions? Oh, anyways, exactly. You know? And the fact that they they even they, you know they, they actively stop him from being able to get any support 
with his his issues, his PTSD from his childhood trauma and all the rest of it, is also mind-blowing to me. It's just like, well, why don't we look at the root cause of why Jason did this in the first place? Yes, it was the wrong thing to do, but why did he do it? Well, okay, let's look at his past. Okay, so why has this happened and what can we do? Um, you know, he's even said, I'll pay for my own treatment, but they won't even allow him to talk to someone uh, on the phone. It's very indicative and consistent with the extremely low level of mental health services that these guys get. Number one, when they're in jail awaiting trial, which can be, as you know, months to years before you get to trial. And the lack of any sort of mental health treatment at that stage is enormous. And it's very common, you know, in our federal system, you know, typically a lot of the guys are locked up in a federal jail in the Chicago area. And of course, you know, on a regular basis, people have mental health issues and really they get the bare minimum, you know, they might get a little bit of medication they might get to talk to someone once in a while, but it's not its not treatment in any respect. And then when they go to a prison, it's usually worse, meaning it's usually less than that. You know what I mean? So uh, it, it's a tough one. You're asking a guy to show he's been rehabilitated, to continue to show that he's being rehabilitated for five more years, but yet really not offering anything that would go towards that other than, you know, his self-help or self-study, you know, which is kind of funny. And I mean, speaking. I mean, speaking of inmates, while we're on the subject, I also um, got a, a message from David Talley. He's our 100 year uh, man, so his most recent uh, appeal to the district court was denied, and they've also now threatened him with sanctions if he um, sends anything else through. So, wow, you know. interesting. Yeah, so they they obviously believe he's exhausted his any any sort of filings in the court, and it sounds like from what you said, they must have found that one to be untimely or improper. You know. Um, but that's that's a horribly sad story. This is a tough discussion today. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know there's no we don't have a big light at the end of the tunnel. And then as I came home tonight, I was watching the news and saw that our president was just indicted federally. So it's a it's a big day. But not Sleepy Joe. No, no. I mean, former President Trump. Oh, yeah. I don't right. know if you heard it, but there's this there's a federal case in Miami, Florida, where they're indicting over over the handling of the documents and the cover up of the documents and alleged witness tampering and obstruction of justice, all, all those things wrapped into one. Uh, I made two two bets on a, on a betting account here in Australia. One, that Trump would would win presidency, and two, that he was he would be impeached. Uh, and I come up smelling like roses on both of those points. It's funny. I said, I said probably like six months ago or so on a show that – I didn't think there was any way he was going to get indicted on the documents case. I was I was clear 100%. He's never going to get indicted on the documents case. So I'm going to be talking to that host on Saturday, and I'm going to have to bring to his attention that, you know, if they replay the tape, I was 100% wrong. <laughs> First time for everything, Mr. Leonard. First time for everything. Maybe I'll just confess it to you and not tell him. Yeah. Maybe. Is this, does this count? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic. I think if you confess once that you don't have to keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, no, just go and do some Hail Marys, mate. You'll be fine. No problem at all. It's all Your sins are washed away. Mate, uh, as always, go. it's an absolute pleasure to uh, to chat with you and get your opinion on these cases. I've got an absolute doozy coming up for you very soon. You thought Evaristo Salas Jr.'s case was the one of the worst you've ever heard. You wait till you hear the, uh, this guy that's coming up very soon. It's absolutely – I sat down and chat with him for four hours this morning at 2 a.m. in the morning Australian time. And, uh, wow. It's just absolutely incredible. So I look forward to it. When's that one going to drop? It's our next story after the one we've got out at the moment. It's a couple of weeks away, but um, it's going to be... Actually, the next case we've got coming up is an interesting one because it's around self-defense. That's so timely because I just tried a self-defense case last week. So How did you go? uh, I can't wait. Well, we, you know, Jack, we... we, uh, (laughs) See the hesitation? 
we won the most important charge. It would, the, the most important charge was attempted murder. Right. And so we won that one on, with the self-defense. Okay. However, he did get convicted of the lesser charge, which was called aggravated battery. Yeah, right. But hopefully we can, when we talk about your self-defense episodes, we can talk a little bit about my case too. Yeah, great. Well, this guy got uh, aggravated uh, malicious wounding and then it got upgraded to second-degree murder and he's in, in, in wow. for second-degree murder, yeah. so That sounds very similar to my case. I can't wait to hear about that one. Maybe it's, maybe it's your guy. Maybe he, uh, if he starts if he starts yelling <laughs> he about this, this damn attorney he that he has. He didn't even tell me and he's, gonna, and he's probably complaining about the, yeah, the legal the help. Yeah, the shit he legal got. help he got. <laughs> You're going to have to make sure that one never yeah, reaches no. the, the – the, it stays on the cutting room just, floor. Just like a good prosecutor, I'll bury the evidence. <laughs> You're learning, Jack. Yeah. You're learning. <laughs> All right. Thanks All for right, your time, buddy. buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, man. As always, a massive thank you to Michael for giving up his valuable time and weighing in on these stories that we cover. And, of course, we'll catch up with him again after our next case. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted, and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.